Welcome to the 304th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that stuffs your stocking all year long. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's, I suppose. Happy holidays to you as well, partner. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everyone. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Oh, this is our big year-end wrap-up. So we will start off with a familiar... uh, component here the mtgo metagame week in review we've got two modern challenges uh, our top paper movers will run through some cards that have bumped in price this week as well as the top mtgo movers segment three are cards to watch uh, i stand alone this week uh, but i have i believe our listeners are going to get some bonus picks in the discord later and uh, the big chunk here, our weekly topic, our year in review. Uh, we've modified the selection a little bit from the last time we did this. So we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get there, but it should prove to be illuminating for both ourselves and our listeners. Um, let's start here at the top, the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. We have a modern challenge that was played on the 25th. So uh, these are people who are avoiding their family, I would imagine. Um but I see a pretty good smattering here. We've got some Hammer Time. We've got some Dust Shadow, some Green Red Midrange, which is a little out of the ordinary, I would say. Some Char Belchers, Blue White Control. Nice nice mix here. The Green Red Midrange should have worked one just on uh, theme. Wait, Green. Yeah, Green Red. Yeah, that should have won on theme for it being Christmas Day. And also just for being the craziest deck in this group. I mean, they're, they're running two Thrun the Last Roll in here, in Modern, in at the end of 2021. Thrun, Thrun used to be legit. He was, uh, was Valakit tech. Valakit would play him against the control decks. But it has been a long while since we've seen him. They've got Moonvel Regent in here, too. That yep. is real... That is real wacky. Moonvale Regent is the one from AFR, which is uh, Midnight these... Hunt. Midnight Hunt. Oh, Midnight Hunt. They. That's the Midnight Hunt logo. Yep. That yep. looks like. Uh... Okay. Midnight Hunt, which is the form on a four-four, uh, flying dragon. When you cast a spell, you discard your hand, uh, and if you do, you draw a card for that each of that spell's color. So in this deck, that's probably if you're hoping for two cards um but it looks like actually most of these are monocolors so you're only ever really drawing one card 
Um, and when it dies, it deals damage X damage where X is the number of colors among permanents, which is still only two. So this is... I, I guess I have to admit here, I don't quite get this because yep, the only multicolor card in here is Ren. It re it, everything else is monocolor, which means it... Yeah, I don't get the Moonville Regent here. I, I don't understand why this card is valuable in this deck. It's Okay. It's a 4-4 four, four flyer for four that is most of the time going to... can let you cycle one card when you cast a spell. And maybe they like that because it lets them get rid of things like Utopia Sprawl and Arbor Elf in the late game. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the being able to loot every time you cast a spell isn't terrible, but you have to have an empty hand before that becomes useful. Uh, but maybe it is. I mean, they're only playing two, so if you play that as your curve topper, and now every time you cast an action spell, you discard all the lands or whatever other junk is in your hand and draw again. And it keeps doing that, doesn't it? It's whenever you cast a spell. And it's a may. You don't have to. True. So there is some flexibility. I guess it's just, it's a four mana four four flyer that kind of gives you this weird looting if you want it. I mean, the reality is one if you drop a blood moon on two and they can't do anything about it and it's causing them their mana base problems, then you could cast almost anything on three and four to run it home. But yeah, I'm very curious to see if this is a formulation we will see again or whether it's a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got three endurance, four fury, Renin sixes, Arbor Elves, and Utopia Sprawls with Blood Moons. This is, this is not new. We've seen this before. Um, there's just a couple of like seasoned to taste elements here that are definitely curious. Right. It is. Yeah. Just a did curious you, configuration. Did you flag the uh, anti-red tech in the Hammer Time list that won this challenge? Uh, I, I saw something about this on Twitter. I see the Burnt and Forge Tenders in the main. Three which, in the main. Yeah, which is someone who came with a purpose. And then That's two Sanctifier sure. on Vec in the main. Yeah. And, and then in the sideboard, another Burnt and Forge Tender for the full four. And another two Sanctifiers. So yeah, they're they're gunning for red decks. The um, bur the burnt and forge tenders can be these types of um, red hate cards can be better than people give them credit for, because it's easy to see like forge tender as a mono red hate card, and it's obviously very effective at that. But it does serve to do a pretty good job of annoying the hell out of a lot of other decks who are playing red. So I mean, the set the deck that took second was a red prowess deck. So your one mana burnt and forge tender can just sit here and block every single one of their creatures and base can only be killed by prismatic ending. And then the third place was a green red mid range. So it can block all their red stuff and doesn't really die to the removal. And uh, so, I mean, those are the main targets in this top eight, but it just to give you an idea, like it, it can make combat and blocking really obnoxious for a lot of decks that play red. It doesn't have to be mono red. It's a, it's a reaction. I think overall to the presence of a handful of cards in the format, lightning bolt, fury, ragavan, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and Renin Six. The, those are the five red spells that are ultra-prevalent and have trouble with the cards in question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're never going to play this in a format 
where red isn't a very strong color, but it does do, they do do more than nothing against the rest of the, the room typically. I mean, I, I watched uh, Andrea Mangucci run this to a two and three in a league. Um, said he only ran into red once, and that was pri- primarily the issue. <laughs> if, I mean, if you run into blue-black mill, a lot of these cards do basically nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> most people's cards uh, are just blank against mono-red, uh, blue-black mill for the, in general. That's why you play blue-black mill. So fourth place in this in this uh, challenge on Christmas Day was Grixis Death Shadow, then Blue White Control, Charbelcher making another top eight appearance, Humans making another top eight appearance with three Adeline, uh, a Turok, four Esper Sentinel, three Imperial Recruiter, and then Grixis Death Shadow wrapping that up in eighth. In the challenge the, the next day, we had Grixis Death Shadow in first, fourth, and sixth. Amulet Titan in second, Straight Burn in third, Four Color Yorion in fifth, Blue Black Mill in seventh, and Black Red Midrange. Same old, same old. Modern looks very healthy, tons of things going on, bits of innovation here and there, and otherwise in uh, a healthy format. Mm-hmm. Which is nifty. That's good to see. Moving on over to Top Paper Movers of the Week. Kick things off with my pick from last week, Elish Norn, Grand Cenobite, Secret Lair. Apparently got a bit of a jump off that call. Uh, 25 to 38. I think I called it to go just over 20 to 40. So we're pretty much there. But there could easily be some retracing as the speculators retreat to watch for their exits and additional copies enter the market from units that are still sitting around. Uh, Even still, I don't think this card is going to experience much in the way of downward pressure out 6 to 12 months. And I suspect whether or not you get your exit now, you will certainly find it during 2022. Uh, yeah, I don't think that this is going to go down much at all, ever. The worst it would do is experience some drag, but that's that's about the worst of it. Alright, uh, so what do we got next? Then is Archaeomancer. The secret layer copies are 9 to 18, so a nice little double up there. Archaeomancer is the uh, the form on a 1-2 that returns instant sorceries. Uh, from on a under the battlefield, but this was in the um, oh the name escapes me at the moment. But it's the very new uh, secret layer drop with some very interesting art. This isn't the arcane one, right? This is the no no no. This is arcane's not out till the spring. Uh, this is from the name of the escapes me. But all nat all natural totally refreshing super drop. Okay. And this is the Jen Bartel. Oh, that's what it is. Let me see. The Jen Bartel. Wait, there wasn't a. Yeah. Was there a Jen Bartel collection? Yeah. Yeah. Messy Enchantress, Meteor Golem, Archaeomancer, Bloom Tender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Four cards, and I think I think we panned this one. I think we said like Bloom Tender had a pretty good shot at holding a bunch of value, and the rest of this would probably fade, but with Archaeomancer rising, um, that's going to probably make this one a winner as well. Well, yeah, I mean, if Archaeomancer's selling for 20 bucks for the foils, that's half of your buy-in right there. I mean, the TCG market, you know, on, on um, Scryfall says 7 bucks. So if I jump over here and look at foils, I mean, yeah, you can still... Um, all right, this says 9.18. I'm, I'm calling... There, so maybe someone must have just relisted these because there are a bunch of 18 
um, but it's a really sharp jump. There's a couple, like seven or eight bucks. There's four vendors with copies under $18. So it looks like those might've backfilled after the jump, but one of them has 26 copies. <laughs> so I don't know if they just like, just got around the list in their copies or what happened here. So the numbers are a touch screwy. <laughs> Um, but there is a, a, a decent chunk here, 26 copies available at $9.50 after shipping if you want to make sure you get your copy in before it's too late. Alrighty. What else we got on this list? Then is the Wanderer, um, also a secret layer copy. This is the stained glass planeswalker, 10 to 23. Um, the Wanderer was revealed to be in Kamigawa, at least in the Kamigawa story. We haven't seen a card uh, for it for the wander as far as i know uh feel, but, feel very very confident that she's going to be one of the three planeswalkers yeah this is it would seem that way um but i'm gonna say she although i'm not completely confident in that oh it's definitely a she was yeah was revealed at least to be in the kamigawa story so people are just picking these up just because the wander's coming back and that's about the extent of it yeah, I mean, this says the text on this is very unlikely to be relevant specifically to Kamigawa. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control is the static. And then minus two exile target creature with power four or greater. That's fine, but I think this is pretty loose targeting this just on Wanderer hype. I, yeah, I mean, this is the secret layer copy specifically, which I want to say was one of the... Yeah, the, all, the, all the same glass ones were... Um, the freebies right like there was no yes yeah so yes. i mean this is definitely what we would call a supply side play there's just a presumably so few that that gives you your in here uh but i yeah i don't know who would really be after this card it's not I, like what format are you playing it in i don't think it's popular in edh i would guess that this is sub 2000 copies on edh rec let me just double check it is nope seven thousand really i mean i guess it's that's still two percent two percent at white decks but yeah seven thousand yeah. is not bad i mean you get to put it in the play and immediately exile a creature and if nobody kills it which they probably won't you get to exile another creature so like there's some utility there there's some there's some combos here like if you have permanents that are dealing damage to your you and your stuff alongside other people's this prevents mm -hmm. that yeah, and if, yeah, if you're yeah. in a red heavy meta obviously this has greater upside yeah, although, I mean, whose meta, whose EDH meta looks like that? <laughs> um, after looking, that over is... the, looking over the commanders she shows up in, it's it's a a wide array of lesser-played white commanders. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Maddening Hex, uh, the, out of the AFR commander product, uh, $1.50 to 4 Maddening Hex is the, let me pull the text up here, 3 mana curse, um, when they, and you curse a player, it has to do with when they roll, when they play spells, they roll D6 and it deals damage to them, and then it bounces around to another player. So kind of a fun, everyone gets a taste, curse. Well, we have the new curse commander, right? So that's what this is about. Yeah, which may, which makes sense. Which I, I I forgot. I didn't notice until I was looking at it that it was a uh, a curse. Also worth flagging again that if this is the is this the just regular copies? 
no, I think this is what's... Yes? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so these are actually out of the Commander decks, um, as opposed to the the extended art versions, which will come out of the Collector Boosters for AFR. Right. right. Uh, Grindstone MPS Masterpiece Series, going from 100 to lowest listed copy currently on TCG Player is 300. Drained out, looks relatively natural. It's not like... 10 foils were bought on the same day or something to to hollow these out but i would still assume that the real price on these is likely under 200 given that europe still has copies closer to 120 130 yeah i mean with these um with these masterpieces we've seen that in the past where they get that spike and then you get a little bit of the backfill as people try and figure out what their new copies will sell for but it has set a new price floor each time it has happened and grindstone's not a big edh card so i don't want to be caught holding these no i did a double take and went to look up the prices because i'm like i'm pretty sure grindstone was not an expensive uh invention before this because nobody really it was cheap for a long time yeah it's like legacy painter servant combo stuff right uh that grindstone did do that yeah I mean, I don't know if that's how people are using it in EDH right now, but that is definitely what it used to do. Well, not in EDH. I'm saying legacy play is really the only relevancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure someone somewhere plays it in EDH to some extent, but yes, that's probably the... That could be the extent of it is just the legacy play, putting a very light drain on it. Yuriko, the Tiger's Shadow out of uh, Commander 2018, 8 to 24... Uh, I want to say that's got to be a foil, right? Because Yuriko was head- headlined that deck, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Yuriko. So we're talking about the Commander 8 2018. No, this would be non-foil. That was she that. wasn't. She isn't a headlining commander in that deck. The commander 2018 copy of showing is non-foil. Sure, but what's the actual product? say like if she's on the cover of the product then uh, i mean for T- sure she's foil tcg player would say if this was foil I, tr- I i'm trusting them on this i don't think she was the headlining i don't remember what commander what was in commander 2018 and let's see there was no those were all the three color ones that had lord Wingrace and uh amatau yeah you're right so pretty much all versions of Yuriko are likely to make money. Judge Foils, uh, Etched Foils from Commander Legends last year, etc. Uh, we're just... I haven't seen anything at a Neo that doesn't make me want to be holding and selling Yurikos. And I suspect that's going to work out across the board for most people. Yeah, I would agree. Goblin Charbelcher, Foils out of EMA 6 to 18. Charbelcher keeps showing up in Modern. Uh, we've got... Uh, a bunch more ninja stuff on the move, including uh, Higure, the Still Wind, the plane, uh, plane Chase version 13 to 40. I know I sold one of those closer to 20 last week, so obviously a little early. Um, 200% gains there. Lazuka the Ruthless. If you told me that was not a real magic card, I would have believed you. I do not know what that card does. That's, that's definitely someone like trying to say, is it supposed to be Izuka? I guess it's might be Izuka, but it's I-I, I think, actually, now that I look at it. Oh, yes, yes. 
Yeah, not Lazuka. Izuka. The, pa- the page I was reading it off of is Sans Serif. Um, gotcha. But yeah, that it allows you to sacrifice samurai to give other samurai double strike, but definitely yeah. not a card anyone was lining up for prior to this. Right. So the question is, is one of the decks samurai based that, uh, out of the commander decks that they're going to give us alongside Neo? And are they reprinting Aizuka, the Ruthless? Or is this going to be a must must buy to include? Yeah. I... The, it's whatever to me. It's kind of like Asheo, the, the green samurai. Now, there was a green samurai card leaked this week that at least makes targeting that other green samurai that regenerates samurai a little more reasonable um i had uh, suggested that there was if they were doing a mixture of old culture new culture stuff that the samurai were could easily be on the traditional side and then indeed it looks like that will at least be partially true We've also got Dolman Gate on the move here from Lorwyn, foils from 20 to 64, presumably on the back of Adeline. Um, Dolman Gate basically means that your attacking creatures don't take any combat damage, so it lets Adeline attack freely into people's boards. Uh, Curiosity Crafter out of Commander 21 Extended Arts, um, so out of the Strixhaven uh, Collector Boosters, I would imagine. Uh, from $2 to 6 200% gains. 6300 on EDH Rec already on this card. Definitely was under my radar. I, I, I think that the no maximum hand size thing is probably more of a sleeper pick than, when, than we might give it credit for. Because Reliquary Tower has been a humongous land in EDH for ages, just based on that alone. It also shows up in 60% of Geralt, Geralt uh, Visionary Stitcher decks. That's the... Uh, Three mana blue legend out of Vow that gives all your zombies flying unless you sack non-token creatures to create blue zombie tokens that fly. Yeah, I mean, it, Curiosity Crafter giving all your creatures a Fidian, all your creature tokens a Fidian is pretty solid. You also see it in Donal, Herald of Wings, Adrix and Nev, Twin Casters, Essex, Fractal Bloom, pretty much all the decks that care about tokens. I mean, like, I can understand why this card is popular in those in those decks. I don't feel bad for not calling this to go to six or seven dollars like it's just sort of a i i I don't see i i I would not have even even knowing the price now if somebody said like oh curiosity craft is a real deal this is gonna hit five or six bucks you should buy in at 75 cents i'd be like i still don't you could have made that decision i feel like it would have been the right decision for the wrong reason if that makes sense sure after Curiosity Crafter is Gravestorm out of Odyssey, non-foil, six and change, up to 25. Gravestorm is a pretty old card, obviously, from Odyssey. Um, with no, there Technically, there's additional printings, but they're those weird um, like European-only printings, Spain or something from 2005. But it's a three-mana enchantment. The beginning of your upkeep, target opponent may remove a card from his or her graveyard. And if they don't, you can draw a card. So it just puts a... First of all, I bet it just annoys the hell out of wizards that they gave up the name Gravestorm on this. But uh, beyond that, it puts a tax on your opponents to remove a card from their graveyard. And if they don't, you get to draw a card. And if you're playing Umbrus, it is ever-increasing the number of uh, cards your opponents have in exile, thus improving 
Umbrus's power and toughness. Yeah, it seems like an auto-include in an Umbrus deck. It seems a little slow, all things considered. You're paying three mana and a card to each turn either draw a card or increase Umbrus's power by one. Like You can cast Crypt, Crypt Incursion, that's the name of that card. Uh, Crypt Incursion on a player once, which is exile all cards from their graveyard and you gain three life for each card exiled this way. Like You can Crypt Incursion a player once, probably hit eight or nine creatures, gain a chunk of life, and that's more cards in exile than you're likely to exile with Gravestorm over the course of the entire game. So I don't... <laughs> Gravestorm doesn't seem good, but I also believe that people would play it. It's only showing up at 16% of reported decks on EDH Rec for Umbrus, which isn't that high, actually. Um, so it could be more of a targeting thing where somebody went after it. The, I mean, over the, say the game lasts four turns with Umbrus in play. Umbrus is four counts bigger, and you drew four cards. It's fine, but you're right. There's definitely other ways to exile more cards faster for less. Yeah. So I... Sure. Nizumi Shortfang foils out of Champions of Kamigawa, eight to thirty-one dollars on the back of rats showing up again in Neo. Uh, Eater of the Dead of the Dark. That's that a reserveless card? Smells like reserveless. Oh, I don't know. Did the dark... 15, 15 to sixty-five apparently for three hundred percent plus gains. But I swear that we have seen Eater of the Dead do this dance before. It is not dance... on the reserve list. And yet is very likely unlikely to ever get printed again, given its templating. Uh, let's see. This was $16 as of June, then dipped down to like 12 and now it's taken off again. I have a couple of these sitting around. Uh, if I can get 50 or 60 bucks for these, I think that would be just fine. And yeah, not on the reserve list. It's a 3-1 a for... No, a 3-4 for 5 where you pay one, no, you pay zero, take one creature from any graveyard, remove it from the game. Oh, well, this is Umbrus, right? Uh, possibly? Or at least the same person that thought Gravestorm was Umbrus. Either dead removed. Because that looks like infinite graveyard removal to me, for creatures anyway. Well, it's, it's, if either the dead is tapped... Oh, are you looking? Is there uh, the oracle tax to the says text? is zero colon if eater of the dead is tapped, exile target creature card from a graveyard and untap eater of the dead. Oh, but if you you tap it, and then because it's it's free to activate, you can just activate it infinite times on the stack and exile. Oh no, because it's if it's tapped. So the first time you can put you can target every creature in every graveyard. The first one will resolve, untap eater, and then when the next one goes to resolve, it will fail because it's untapped. So I don't see this being good unless you have a way to continuously tap it. Uh, so yeah, this might just be someone. This feels like I I missed Jason mentioning it in an article or on BSP or something. He was like somebody wrote an article about Umbrus and some cool cards that you might want to include, and this showed up in there, and then somebody targeted it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to give this person the benefit of the doubt here, but I don't know, man. Because again, there's a bunch of like one and two cast and cost artifacts that clear entire graveyards. Right. So it's just, this is a lot of work to do something so much worse and you can get elsewhere. 
It's not like it's a beneficial creature in any other way. Nope. All right, so finishing this list up, we got Carpoolson Minotaur at a cold snap, foils from 15 to 75. Uh, it's one of the foils not included in the coin flip deck a bunch of us just bought from Secret Layer. The first ever Secret Layer uh, bespoke commander deck. So folks are making their bets on what coin flip cards people want will want to pick up. And I am avoiding that entirely until I see how popular the deck actually ends up being. Avoiding the Carpsalon Minotaur or having bought any of the decks? No, I bought decks because I think the decks are going to be worth, but I'm not going after coin flip, flip foils. I think people have fallen into that trap enough times to know better. Yeah, I mean, Carpsalon Minotaur is a cold snap foil, so... You know, you're going to require very little to get people to, to move that price tag, right? Um, I just, one of those cases where you don't want to have 20 copies in stock. Uh, no, I would agree with you. It, it was probably fine to splash around with a couple. I wouldn't have spent $400 on it. All right, moving on over to top Magic Online movers of the week. We've got Ancestral Mask out of EMA, moving from four tickets to almost six, but 50% gains on the back, probably of the leaked information that the modified mechanic in Kamigawa Neon Destiny isn't a singular keyword so much as it is similar to Historic, uh, the keyword from Dominaria, where they said Legends and Artifacts um, were a subcategory of objects in the game. And modified seems to have to do with be, being equipped, enchanted, or having uh, ability tokens placed on a creature. So if the, the keyword is supposed to be if a creature is equipped, say it again? Equipped, enchanted, or has an ability token. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, what was that? That big diamond or the fancy whatchamacallit, product that we talked about a week or two ago. Had those, yeah, they had the tokens. Those yeah. special tokens, so that sounds uh, pretty likely, huh? Yeah, and th this is coming out of the... There were some cards that leaked on Reddit uh, over the weekend uh, that seemed to suggest uh, that this was going to be how that was handled. Um, but we'll await the official proclamations to be to be certain people making their early moves uh not entirely convinced that ancestral mask is worth chasing on that basis but i guess we'll see um of course if you knew what the face commanders were then maybe some of these moves make more sense yeah uh wouldn't be the first time information was leaked uh, Great Furnace out of Mirrodin, 2.2 ticks to 3.6. Uh, first place in the MTGO Popper Challenge on December 26th. That probably, uh, that's an affinity deck that won that, so that probably explains things. They get to play artifact lands in their affinity builds in Popper, apparently. <laughs> hard, hard to imagine that's not one of the more busted versions in any format. Well, that seems uh, fair. Yeah, uh, I mean, if it's Popper, you don't get... A lot of the good affinity artif artifacts, I guess. That's the idea. But there. a lot. But Frogmite and the new four four and the old four four that come in for that cost seven on the surface, but always cost less. I think they're both all commons, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not, but it, that's probably the deck, right? Like that's just that's that's why you're here is to play those cards. And then Cemetery Gatekeeper, I think, was a pi big pioneer winner lately. 
uh, on Magic Online and went from 7.6 ticks to 13.3, 75% gains. So got my eye on that card for similar action in some relevant format and paper, but I'm certainly not in a rush to buy them till I see the see the results. Yep. You know, anecdotally, I bumped into a friend who I hadn't seen in about a year, actually. Um, and she plays Magic at one of the local stores. Uh, so we were just catching up and I and we were chatting about Magic. And she said that prior to COVID, Pioneer had been the big format locally. Um, a lot of the stores here and that store in particular had was doing a lot of Pioneer. They were doing it for F&M and it had quite a bit of traction. But then COVID came along and it kind of you know, lost all that. And now the local stores, if they're, you know, when they run events like that, constructed events, they're modern. Um, but I guess Pioneer did have at least some amount of, of interest in paper prior to uh, the world falling apart. I mean, Star City ran ran the survey on Twitter last couple of days, and I think they got like 30% positive response on whether oh. people wanted, wanted them to run Pioneer. Yeah, I never the, went back and the, looked at the, the results of that. Yeah, because they they announced that there's going to be they have a series of tournaments planned, which I think is pretty uh, gutsy given the current situation with COVID. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean that's gonna that's gonna dovetail here into segment three. But Star City, for those unaware, announced that the their convention tour, their their cons are returning this year. Um, they've got I believe six of them on the calendar. The first one is in February for the Kamigawa pre-release. And then there's a couple more scattered throughout the year. Although if memory serves, we only have dates or locations for like the first three, three or four. We know that Modern and Legacy are returning. There was no Pioneer committed to these events yet. But Ben Blyweiss, who's kind of basically runs runs a lot of things over at Star City, uh, posted a poll on Twitter asking if Pioneer should be at this event. And you're telling me 30% of people said yes. I don't know what number he was expecting there or what number would have been enough. 30% doesn't sound terrible, all things considered. That, that sounds like they might be able to get off a 32-player tournament or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, it really, like, Star City just needs enough players to fire one 32 or 64 player event at each of these, because if everyone else then sees that they can play pioneer at the star city events, they will start getting back into it. Um, oh, so some people will get back into it. Right. Some, sure. yeah, right, right. But star star city has the, the weight to actually get that ball rolling. Should they, I'm not even sure to. we can say get back into it. Cause I think pioneer is one of those formats where people will never really got to get rolling on it. COVID, covid but like reared its head within three months of the announcement right yeah i mean it was pretty quick pioneer started in like september i want to say september october uh so i mean players definitely had the opportunity pioneer that was that was really uh this guy's just like ages ago but that was real wet and wild because that was when wizards was making changes to the ban list constantly with no announcement so people would decide to play a deck on that would be monday afternoon they would decide to play a deck on the next friday like oh next fnm i'm gonna play this at pioneer they'd order the cards and then within a couple days wizards would update the ban list and then the cards they had just ordered for this deck had just basically gotten banned because the deck was no longer legal and people were getting really angry that they had tried to buy in three times 
and the decks keep getting pulled out from underneath them. Uh, that was funny. But, <coughs> excuse me. The, the, the point here is that Star City has brought these conventions back. They're bringing a lot of people to paper tables to play Magic several times next year. I would agree with you that the wisdom of this is certainly questionable. I mean, Omicron right now is just seeing astronomical transmission rates. Um, it did something like four doubles in the space of a week, which is inconceivable for, in the statistics world. Um you know, what's it going to look like come March and June and August? I don't have those answers, and I don't think most of us do. Uh, but it is certainly tough to be making that announcement in the middle of record-setting numbers across the country. It's more dangerous now than it ever has been, and the right is up obfuscating that fact well it's not just the right it's the corporations i don't want to get stuck in the trap of trying to play right off left when in fact this is really about the money versus the unmoneyed um the corporations do not want people not showing up for work the corporations don't want them to have the excuse of their kids not being in school um to stay at home nor so you got cdc issuing guidance that tells people Oh no, you don't you don't need to take 10 days off, you only need to take 5 days off and then if you're asymptomatic you're probably fine when in fact there are plenty of reports of people being uh testing positive and probably being transmissible whether or not they're symptomatic 10 days out. And more to the point, though Omicron seems to do less damage uh to people and result in less death and hospitalization, it's also so much easier to catch that we that all of the above is spiking. And there's still this open question mark of long COVID. You know, if that's 30 oh, yeah. or 40%, yeah. of, if 30 or 40% of all the people that get Omicron end up with long COVID, you're going to have HR slash med- medical system issues that go out 20 years, the likes of which we have never seen. I mean, 30 or 40% would be a, 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 I lack the terminology for this. There, it would be a massive impact on, on society at large because it can be quite severe in its intensity and uh, if one in three people who had if one in three people who caught covid ended up with long-term impacts from it it would be the largest health crisis on, on long-term health crisis the u.s had ever seen by two magnitudes um yeah, that's what I'm getting at, is it, that without without knowing for sure whether Omicron is also more mild in terms of long COVID, which will is an evolving story. We're going to see yeah. more and more of that in the, in the coming months and cross your fingers and hope that they end up saying, you know what, long COVID is only in 5% with Omicron. If they come back and say it's in, yeah, you, don't, you, you have a much lower chance of dying, but you have a 55% chance of getting long COVID, then all bets are off. That, so... That, that, I, that, I don't even like. I don't even know how to think about that. Yeah, and and you and I are both connected to this industry, to the the healthcare industry in various ways. Tons of my family members are are involved. You're working directly in it, and so yeah. I mean, it's if you're anywhere close to those scenarios, you have to consider the strain that we're we've already put on these healthcare systems. Like nurses and doctors and their support staff are at the breaking point, if not already broken. You've got tons of nurses and doctors just quitting or looking for work from different angles where they don't have to be a part of all of this 
because they're traumatized. Like this is going on two years now. You've got, you know, we had a Raptors game here with 10,000 people at it the other day in Toronto. And meanwhile, we had ERs that were packed to the gills. It just, it's not adding up. Like the governments are not protecting people. In my building, I've got a 40 floor elevator. I've got to brave every day and I've got a KN95 on, but at least two, three times a day, I've got to tell somebody to put their mask on in this building. So yeah, it's a mess. All of which is just to say that conferences are not auto goes. I would make sure that you have uh, backup plans and that any money you throw at Airbnbs or hotel rooms or flights or whatever is money you can get back because otherwise you could be out of pocket for no reason. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to try very hard to keep this on magic because this will quickly just turn into a COVID cast. But um, yes, they some of these may end up getting canceled. I would, I really, if anyone from Star City is listening, please require vaccines at your events on top of masks, uh, letting unvaccinated people into events like that, even if they have tests and masks is just, is just socially irresponsible at this point. Um, and more, you, more to the point, if if logistics allowed, and and that's a big if because they probably don't, given where the supply chain's at right now. I would be. I was trying to run events. If I wanted to run San Diego Comic Con next summer or something, I would be handing out and adding the cost of to every package, daily or weekend long, the cost of multiple N95s branded with the with the event. Oh, I thought you were going to say tests. Well, te- <laughs> test, test, test should be available for sure, but getting somebody a high-grade quality mask that fits them properly would go a long way to solving a lot of problems. Because even in places where people think they're doing the right thing, wearing masks, I would say in my building, you know, 44 floors, 10 apartments per floor, talking about 1,000 people plus in the building, and I would guess that 80% of them have bad masks. And, and that's ignoring the ones that have no mask. Yeah, I mean, if you're Star City, I mean, I don't, I have no idea what the availability is for something like that. So we could be severely underestimating the capacity for this to occur. But if you're Star City, you know, if you can get in touch with an N95 manufacturer to have your own run done that are like made Star City blue and like have the white star printed on them or something, um, or you know, some sort of branding like that, and then say. Uh, you give you include that in the price of admission and you say everyone is required to wear this mask. Like, I don't give a shit that you brought your own mask. This is the yep. mask you have to wear. And if you drop it in the toilet or whatever, that's fine. Come up to the desk. We're, we're you know, it's a dollar for a replacement. But like, this is the only mask you're allowed to wear. I don't care that you brought your own N95 mask from home. Put this one on. Which then you get this great branding and it also makes sure that what people are wearing is sufficient. Of course, N95s are only fully effective if you've been fit tested. By the way, you can't be fit tested if you have facial hair. Um, but that's a whole other yep. problem. But uh, I, I, I'm going to presume, given the amount of effort involved in setting these events up, that they were probably deep into planning and committing to these I mean, they had to be early fall, right? At least, I mean, about a year out, you think? Pro- I mean, at least three to six months out. I'm sure that there is some flexibility being offered by venue runners at this point because they're desperate to get people back in the building. Because um, d- during normal times, like, say, the main convention center here in Toronto, good luck, right? Like, it's booked out years in advance for every relevant weekend. Um, but... In current circumstances, I'm, I'm sure things have gotten a little easier uh, or more accommodating. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, 
it's it is December right now and Omicron's going wild. But Omicron has only really been only this, took a month. Yeah, it was basically a month, right? Right. It was about the start of this month because even during Thanksgiving, it was not this bad, nor near this bad. Before that, we were coming off, you know, we we're still coming off the Delta surge. But if you rewind to like September, I think you, I think that was sort of the beginning of Delta, right? Or like at least Delta wasn't awful yet. I, I want to say late. When, I can't. My point being I is I want to say late summer, if they were trying to set these events up for the following spring, it might have looked okay. I mean, I'm Ben, ben would, I mean, this doesn't seem like proprietary information. I'm sure Ben might be willing to comment on Twitter. But the bottom line is uh, we'd love to see people back at events, but we want it to happen safely. And I'm very dubious that that's possible at present. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree completely. I don't think, I, I c- could not imagine bringing myself to set foot in a convention hall to play magic i I think in toronto right now the latest stats i saw this morning were something like if there's 10 people in a room together the odds of one of those of you encountering an active case of covid was 40 percent or something yeah like just an obscene number yep i actually just there's a headline here uh u.s reports 500 488,000 cases (laughs) it's just all right but Trying to get back to the reason Cards to watch. Here. Yeah. Is this these events are scheduled to occur next year. A bunch of people are going to be back at the tables, not only attending Star City events, but probably their local stores and trying to get back into the swings, swing of things. Whether or not that's wise, they're going to do it. Uh, more meat for the meat grinder. So one of the cards on my radar here is Ragavan. Uh, Ragavan is in 12,500 EDH rec decks, but that's only the, the B side. The A side is he is, as far as I can tell, the most played creature in modern. Um, I think Luris technically is in more decks, but obviously is a one of versus a four of for Ragavan. So I'm pretty sure Ragavan wins the most played creature in modern. I'm at this point confident saying he's pretty safe. Um, the versity seems plenty high enough that they're not going to ban him anytime soon. So Ragavan looks like it is the pinnacle creature in modern right now with unlikely to see that change significantly anytime soon. And SCG can, cons are going to be driving more modern players to the tables. So all of that said, what do we do with Ragavan? The borderless copies are where my attention is right now. Um, there are 42 vendors with borderless copies. Nobody really has more than a place at. Most listings are for one or two. Buy-in price is about 85 bucks. Obviously, that's quite a significant price tag. I don't think this is a $250 card anytime soon, but I do think $130, $140 is quite possible for the borderless copies. Uh, that's not a huge jump. And with 40 vendors, you, this is a card you need four of. Um, you know, there's only... I'm going to at most 15 playsets of this on TCG Player right now. Like... When you put it in that context, one if if one person from each state tried to buy a playset of borderless Ragavans, you would empty the market at the moment. So I don't think you know with with new players coming to the table possibly um, into spring and summer. I think eighty five to one thirty five is a is a reasonable expectation here for Ragavan. I'm surprised that we didn't put this on a list before now. So was I. <laughs> because this these got these were lower 
back down the road. Like you, you could get in on these as low as not a lot lower, I suppose, 75 or 80 back midsummer. Um, which I guess you also could have accomplished via the uh, Black Friday sales. This is not going to be a huge percentage gainer, would be my guess. But to get in it, if you can get a place at 85, no tax, and then flip it at, say, $4.99 on Facebook or something a bit down the road, you're probably doing just fine. And this card is still technically in print for half of 2022, so I wouldn't expect a reprint anywhere. It's not the kind of card I would expect them to cough up in a secret layer. And it's not in any of the sets in 2022, I can guarantee you that. So this gets at least a year, two years, three years before a reprint. Yeah, it's probably going to get there. I mean, the art on the Borderless is very nice. My modern deck has four Borderless Ragavans in it right now. Mm. And uh, they're lovely. It's a, so, it, yeah. it's a solid card. And I, th- I do think the Borderless is significantly better than the non-Borderless. The, the non-borderless is just it's fine it's there it's a magic card borderless definitely looks better though all right your uh, second selection the other one i'm gonna go way to the other end of the scale so we started with an 85 dollar card now i'm going to talk about a one dollar card that is cunning evasion out of modern horizons one this is the uncommon enchantment whenever a creature you control becomes blocked you can return it to its owner's hand uh this is a big this is an only about 3,500 EDH rec decks, so it's not terribly cut popular, but it is very popular in ninja decks um, because of the way ninjutsu works. You want to return stuff to your hand and what have you. So there are 11 vendors with foil copies of this card with of uh, Cunning Evasion, and they are a dollar. And there's two walls here. So there's 11 listings, but between those two vendors, you're at about just under 40 copies. Um, one of them is a gaming company who we know does very high volume. They've got 23. But, uh, you know, 11 vendors for a total of about 50 copies total here. Uh, I think that this people a lot of people are going to build Ninja decks out of the Kamigawa product here. I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. You're going to pay a dollar for these foils. I think you'll buy list them for two, three, if you get lucky, four dollars in the spring early summer and it will have been a fairly low effort easy play let me put this in context for people in the top past two years yuriko is the number four commander on edh rec six thousand plus decks reported in the past month she was only number seven as people were building edgar Wilhelt, Lathril, Prosper, and Tovalar. So a lot of more newer commanders. But now that the pendulum is swinging back towards Kamigawa and the Undestiny and people are starting to think about ninjas again, she's back to being number four in the last week. Uh, only behind Wilhelt, Edgar, Markov, and Prosper. That tells me that this, this commander is going to sell some cards. Um, there is a question of what will catch a reprint in the commander deck. Um, this card could easily show up there as a non-foil. Will people want to upgrade their cunning evasions to foils? I don't think a ton of people will, but as you said, we're down to 11 listings already. It's already been targeted. 23 of the copies out of those 11 listings come from a single vendor uh, at 90 cents a piece, and then they jump up to two bucks. 
So if you grab those dollar copies, I would imagine Card Kingdom will eventually end up giving you your buy list out. It's not the kind of card I want to be selling at $4 individually, but I will certainly be happy to buy list it if that opportunity arises. Yep. I mean, and that was the intent the whole way, right? That I don't expect you to individually sell $4 cards here. The plan is that you would be buy listing them. Currently, buy list is $0.60, cents, 78 credit, but I could see that doubling in the near future. Okay, which is, yeah, and I mean, you're, you're gonna, it's gonna, this is not going to hit for a little while because you need players to actually be building the deck and buying them, so there's going to be a delay here. It's not going to happen overnight, but I do like, uh, I do like it on the long term. Alrighty, and for the first time ever in our history of this cast where I was actually present, I do not have picks for you guys for cards to watch. Uh, a couple things went on today. We got vaccinated our third booster yesterday, and it knocked my wife right out. So I've been balancing uh, a lot of workflow, as well as prep for this episode. Um, and you'll see why when we get to segment four. And also dealing with Alara. So I didn't want to force it on the cards to watch. We did really well this year. We have nothing to uh, feel embarrassed about, that's for sure. And I'm going to take a little break. But I won't leave you with nothing. First of all, I'll post some picks to, for the pro traders in the Discord to make up for it. Uh, and for folks listening to the cast, let me tell you what I've been buying, which may be more interesting than what I could call. Um, looking at back at the last couple weeks of purchases on TCG Player and eBay, for instance, uh, I snapped off on Christmas Day uh, a handful more copies of Soren the Mirthless showcase foils in and around $200. Um, for those people that thought this was headed, this was going to peak early and then crash, could still happen, I suppose, but we're not headed in that direction so far. In fact, Harayuya has been uh, upping their buy list offer, even on the quote-unquote least desirable version, which would be the English foil showcase from the collector boosters, um, with buy list currently sitting at 30,000 yen. So via the Pro Trader buy list program, and we'll have another order heading over to Japan mid-January or so, you should be able to get up 50 bucks a copy on these if you can pick them pick them off at 200 bucks, which could do that a couple times. You can cover your whole year of Pro Trader pretty easily. Mm. So I uh, picked up some more of those. Um, I also bought some Demir Signet uh, foils from the Secret Layer drop. I think that was one of my picks on cast uh, a few weeks back. Uh, grabbing those at about... Eight dollars, eight dollars and fifty cents a piece. That's the Dan Fraser art. Uh, very likely to do well over time. Grab some of the Arcane signets as well, around thirteen or fourteen, and bought a bunch more Circle of Dreams Druid extended art foils, around fifteen dollars. Those have actually drifted down a little, I think, since they were called on cast. And that seems like a very reasonable entry point to me for a foil extended art guy's cradle on a stick. Oh, yeah, I would like to get some of these. I still haven't gotten around the buying any. Um, I've also been grabbing some Dothy Voidwalker Retroframe foils in and around 15 bucks or so. That card's played everywhere, which means it's played in Modern and EDH to a great extent. And the combination of those two should equally double up within... I don't know, 12 to 16 months, I would imagine, on the, the good versions of the card. Entirely possible non-foils would do even better, but it doesn't uh, really fit my MO. 
So yeah, that's the uh, the stuff I've been snapping off lately. That's uh, that's good stuff to know. That's helpful. That's basically a pick for some people. Well, yeah, I mean the Sorens are are an easy win if you can find them anywhere near that price, and you drop into our Discord to throw them over to Japan. You can also just sit on those because if this keeps going the way it looks like it's going, I would imagine that that buy list will be up to four or five hundred in a year plus. Who? I have not. I have not purchased any. I haven't really made the point of going hunting for them, but it does seem like it would be uh, pretty effective if you made the effort. I all of my time is the as of of uh, let's see as of four o'clock yesterday has not been searching for Sorens. I've been searching for washing machines because ours broke. Oh no! Yeah, and we use cloth diapers, so we run like at least one <laughs> yep, load there. every day. So it's like that, that that becomes an emergency almost immediately. So it's just like, yeah. boy, I would like to look at magic cards, but I have other cra- things I have to spend all my time on. And yet, we did find time for our weekly or our yearly uh, year in review. Um, Which, now we're doing this a little differently this year, so I should probably break down the specifics. Wait, is it time that did not come uh, easily? I should I want to highlight here. This is uh, this is a labor of love putting this together every year. It's a lot of data to parse. The be so much nicer once we have the new site built, and this will all happen kind of automatically. We'll get there. So, uh, in past years, what we've typically done is look back at the calendar year. Now, the problem with that methodology is that looking at the last six months' worth of picks, like stuff we picked from midsummer forward, most of our picks tend to be on a six to 18 month timeline. So, looking at stuff that's only had, a, you know, stuff we picked three weeks ago has only had a few weeks to mature, um, doesn't really seem like the doing the data the best service. So, instead, what we're doing this year is we're going back to summer of 2020 forward to summer of 2021 so you're getting the stuff that was picked 18 to six months ago six to 18 months ago to put more cleanly um so that you can see whether that got there within the the time period that we're claiming it would um and to put it simply we did pretty good did pretty good pretty 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 good well the i i I will tell you uh, before we get into numbers here, I, I was, I could have been happier with my own results. It was a little worse than I wanted it to be, and I mean maybe, on the whole, it would. It is hard to be hard to complain about it, but I wish I I do wish it was a little better. And I think in previous years it might have been better, but I didn't actually go look that up. It's not mm, bad. I mean. I mean, we can certainly double check back on that for next year. These are good numbers. Like to, to be able to keep in mind what we do here. Cards to watch is not auto wins. These are cards worth discussing based on information that's emerging. And it tends to be stuff where that's true on a Tuesday night. So you don't get our Wednesday through Monday picks. That A lot of that happens in the Discord. And, and in truth, that's a big reason why the Discord was started was so that the information that came out of this brand was even more timely. Um, you know, a podcast is once a week, but a community that has these uh, opportunities under constant discussion is going to hit a gr- much greater number of wins. Like if you took the top hundred posts in the Discord for the year and compared them to this list, the Discord list would have to destroy us 
because it's every mind in the discord all with egalitarian access to uh post their thoughts and then discussed to whatever extent those thoughts were valuable and it's 24 7 7 days a week so there is tons of great info information to be found in the pro trader discord but for tuesday night selections where we're picking two to three picks a week every week uh week in and week out all year long to have these results is is quite good i mean the in in the past we've qualified our results by saying well here was our worst ones and here's some stuff that happened, and here was our best ones, and here's some stuff that happened. We'll do some of that tonight. But we haven't gone through and added every single pick during a year-long time period and said, you know, how did we do? I don't think. And, you know, those results are good here. If you bought a single copy of every single thing that I recommended through that time period, it would have cost you about $6,112. And if you look at the peak market price, TCG market price for those cards um, over the intervening time period, you get 9700 So that's 59% gains on average across all the picks. And keep in mind that th this is in a scenario where on any given week we say to people, we've got five or six picks this week. You should at minimum cut out the bottom th third, if not the top two thirds, and really optimize your selections. Here's some ideas. Now you you know, we're going to give you our best guess of which ones are the best of the bunch. And now you run that through your own filters and you get to an end result. And if you did that, if you, for instance, looked at the, uh, uh, let me just bring up this data. If you looked at my top two thirds of picks, then the results were closer to 92%. So if you were eliminating one out of every three picks I made every week and you just went with the other two, then 92% gains would, would have been the result. And that's on average within about a year. Very, very good, good results to be in that situation. And then, of course, minus fees and minus shipping and some of these peak prices only lasted for two or three days and then they started to retreat. Some of these uh, cards took the full 18 months to, to come to fruition, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of little ways we can nitpick this data. But overall, I think we're doing pretty good. And your numbers weren't much, weren't far off either. I mean, if we look at your stuff, uh, you tend to have a you know two picks to my three on an, on an average basis. But if they bought one copy of everything you selected, it would have been 2,452. And if you look at peak pricing for those cards, we get to 3,755. So that's 53% gains. And then percentage of your positive picks was almost 90%. So very little that you selected ever went down. And that, that's a significant better, significantly better number than mine. Um, and then your percentage of positive picks that were 30% or more was 74%. So almost... Three out of every four picks you made um, went positive in a meaningful way. If we're if we're drawing the line in the sand there at thirty percent, so I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's several ways to slice this. Um, you and I ch were chatting beforehand, and, and I, I guess this is both for our listeners' sake, for my sake, for people for people who like us and people who don't like us. Is I think that that you know at the moment this data is a touch dirty, at least from my perspective. So if you're if you have an agenda about a story you want to tell here, 
whether we were phenomenal or terrible, you could probably make the data work for you. I I, I think that one of the, the one of the key takeaways here is um, something I hadn't really th- thought about too much until you mentioned it, but that's um, we do we I we sit down every Tuesday night and we have to put picks on this spreadsheet. And before we were doing the cast, you know, when I was if if you're just sitting around doing this for fun. Um, or, or should I say, just doing it for yourself? You're not putting yourself on these in these time frame restrictions, where you have to make a pick this week. You have to pick several cards today, this week, and then do it every week. Because there are some weeks where I feel like I have four or five options to work with, and then you get weeks where it feels like there's nothing. Um, but we, you know, we're making a point or more, more accurate or more accurately, nothing that you haven't already discussed. Well, yeah, right, right, right. And that's the thing is we don't, we try really hard not to repeat ourselves and we do, we try and put time in between it. So like a pick that was great last week is still a great pick this week. It's only been seven days. It's not that much, but like now I, we're not using that information. I'm not using a pick from two or three months ago. Um, so having to do that, I think actually makes this much worse our results were much worse than if we were coming here every week and saying, this week I found nothing and really limiting ourselves to, oh, this, this is great. And I know it's the third time I've mentioned it in the last month, but it's still good. It's still the best card I can think of. Um, You know, it's just, if you're sitting at home and only doing this as it comes to you, it probably seems like it's much easier to run better numbers because you're not operating under the same constraints that we are when we're putting this together. It would be interesting to have a rolling top five or something and see how long cards would last on there before they would replace. So like Yuriko is at eight as of June when we first started talking about her and she's still available. Copies are still under 10 bucks in late November of 2021. And then they spike to 40 and she falls off the list because your odds of doubling from 40 are much lower than they were from 10. Yeah, that would be, um, I, I mean, I don't think that that would be a decent amount of work, I think, to, to try and manage the list in that capacity. But I don't think it would be bad. Um, it would just, it would require us to kind of change the way we're doing things a little bit. Uh, I, I think in general, our pick of the week system would, could potentially be interesting if we modified it. So it wasn't just here, here are two or three picks this week, but instead switch to like a road, like you said, like a, a top five rotating model would be one potential way to do it where every week we say, okay, well, last week, my top five was a through E, uh, this week, my list changed in this way. Um, and here's why it changed. This is why this card fell off the list. Uh, usually because the price went up enough that it's not worth it anymore. And this is why I added this card. And some weeks there might not be any changes. And we'd say, well, nothing changed enough this week for us to care. Um, and then other weeks, the whole you know four out of the top five might change because we got some spoilers or something. Uh, so that would be a different way to do it that I think could be very instructive for people. And it would be a slightly more natural in terms of the way that you actually purchase cards, um, so the more natural system. But I also understand it might not put the butts in the seats the same way the picks of the week do. People really like those. They've liked those since before fast finance existed. Um, but I guess it's something we could consider for the future. I'd be curious to hear if uh, if our lovely listeners have a strong opinion about that one way or the other. I think it's also different, again, if you're in the Discord or not. If you're a listener that's never given us any money to support this cast and you've just been you know, happily putting it into your podcast rotation for a few years, 
um, but you're not participating in ProTrader, then you're definitely not getting the most out of it because often, you know, whatever we say on cast about the cards to watch gets called into question by pro traders in the discord they're going to have their run at it to either support it or denigrate the selection they might offer an alternative they might discuss the cards they submitted for the pro trader cards to watch um and you know there's a lot of extra value that can be mined through participating in those conversations yeah now to get i'd say just to chime in very briefly i you have you talked about the the what you were buying earlier, and I, I frequently find that the what I'm buying does not necessarily line up with my picks of the week because those are the picks that I'm making on Tuesday night, but they aren't yep. necessarily what I'm going to be making every other day of the week. Uh, so there, there ends up being a bit of a gap there. For sure. All right, so let's dig, dig a little bit deeper into this data and talk about some of the big wins and misses and, and uh, why each respectively occurred. I talked about your positive picks. My percentage of positive picks was only 70% to your 90. So 20% less than yours. And my percentage of 30% plus positive picks was only 61% to your 74. And yet my overall uh, ROI is higher. The reason for that is that some of my wins are just bigger wins. There's things in here like beta counterspell, at 300 that now goes for nearly 900 etc so even where i though i have uh more variability in my results the my wins tend to be bigger um let's take a look at some of this the 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 i guess i'll start with some of the really bad ones and talk about <laughs> um what happened here uh my worst <laughs> well, this one's pretty obvious. The, my worst one of the year is Hull Breacher Extended Arts out of Commander Legends called January 26th to go 35 to 70. And the show notes are only an EDH ban can slow this down and FEAs are headed for 200. This The extended art of this card is now $4 and I recommend it getting it at 35. <laughs> That's a beating. That hurts. But uh, not any, not a reason that I would ever be embarrassed about. I, I think the, the misses that we should put the most effort into learning from are the things where there are data available that we don't make use of or where we counter our own stated logic. So... One of the trend lines through a number of the cards that, that haven't gone anywhere is not that they were banned like Hull Breacher, but that I was just in like calling them too early. The cards are good, but there was plenty of opportunity for the cards to fall before later rising. And through the selection of picks, I'm getting people in too early. So for instance, this happened with a, a number of Zendikar Rising selections where I underestimated just how much of that product was going to be open to chasing expeditions last fall. And plenty of the cards involved were, were able to, uh, had room to drop before what will presumably be eventual rises. So things like crashing, uh, sorry, river glide pathway, uh, foil borderless out of, um, collector boosters for Zendikar rising, calling them at 12 to get to 25. Well, you can still buy those at like $8 today. Um, so there was, you know, you're in a full year too early. Valakut exploration foil showcases at three dollars, calling them to go to ten within a year. Year year plus later, they're only at two bucks. 
It's funny that you're talking about this because I think the actual worst pick on my list is a Zendikar Rising card. It was Agadim's Awakening, the extended art foils from, I had them from 30 to 45, and they never really moved. Well, they've been they've been in a holding pattern in part because the decks that were running 20 copies of them basically disappeared out of Modern. Um, and we have seen them pop up here and there since the printing of Modern Horizons 2. Um, but for the most part, those are largely an EDH play at this point, and they were much more exciting when they were all over the place in Modern Top 8. Yeah. Um, there's also cards that, you know, are some examples of some mythics that are going to get there over time, but again, too early. Kinnon, Bonder, Prodigy, calling it out of Ikoria, um... Extended Arts to go 16 to 30. You can get them for 10 now. Uh, something like a Mythos of Nethroy um, to go 5 to 15 for the Foil Extended Arts. And they can they go for $3 now. Elite Spellbinders um, were looking really hot for a minute there. And I called them to go 12 to 30. And you can get them for 7 now. Extus Auric Overlord to go 18 to 40. Those foil extended arts are $9 now. Example of cards that had not really earned their keep. They had some like early interesting results. They ended up on my list, but then didn't follow through. There's also stuff that just fell out of the metagame. Like Scourge of the Skyclaves was a big deal when I called it October 2020, um, showing up in modern almost right away. Uh, and reinvigorating Death Shadow decks. And then those decks fell off the radar for a while, and then Modern Horizons 2 put them back on the radar, but Scourge didn't end up being a part of that. And I had called the foil extended arts of Scourge of the Skyclave to go 40 to 80 um, as a four of in Modern. You can currently get those for $17. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other ones that have kind of surprised me, Crashing Footfalls uh, was called on June 8th of this year, um, to on the back of the Shardless Agent decks that MH2 reinvigorated um, to go for the foils from MH1 to go 19 to 40. Instead, they're $12 today. And the Shardless Agents decks are not ultra prevalent. Like there's, there was not on the top eight this week, but they're still kicking around. I, I guess this is a function of the fact that it's just kind of like the one deck that plays this card. And even though it's a foil rare with no reprint, this deck really needs to be a paper play needs to be back with a vengeance, and b enough great a big enough percentage of the meta, like six to eight percent or something, would have to be playing this deck to really turn the corner on these. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you really need enough people at the tables casting that card, which sounds redundant in order to win the game, score the most points. Um, but that that's a card that without that support from modern is really going to fall fall fast and hard. There's also some cards that just caught relevant reprints. Like I called the Secret Layer, the Teferi's Protection from Secret Layer, to go from forty to seventy five. Well, that was before it showed up in the Strixhaven uh, Mystical Archives in two different versions uh, with three different treatments. And so instead of going forty to seventy five, it's currently available at thirty one dollars. Yeah, that was um, that was a bit of a beating there. The Fairy's Protection still sounds good in a lot of different places. 
There's also a couple of instances of Time Spiral remastered old border foils that I overestimated. Uh, I called March 23rd prized amalgam uh, OBF foils to go 35 to 55, which I thought was relatively modest. You can get that card for $14 today. Not only is Dredge not a major factor in modern right now, but the Dredge decks don't even necessarily run Amalgam. I think that um, the Time Spiral Remaster definitely caught me as well, and those were a chunk of my worst picks. I had three of them on here, um, all from the same show, actually. Boy, that week in April, or uh, sorry, back-to-back weeks in April was ugly, but I had... Um, Felden of the Third Cane, Beast Whisper, and Brawl, Chief of Compliance, all Time Spiral Remastered foils um, at 40, 40, and 60, respectively. And they never moved. They've all just, just sort of flatlined and dropped a little bit from there. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think that our, our view on the, the old border, the retro foils was reasonable. I don't think we were way off base when we thought those were going to be good. Um, even still, I've come to recognize that those have less demand than we anticipated, but it is a bit surprising how, uh, I guess, unpopular they have been, all things considered. See, see I'm definitely not on board with the OBFs are not popular uh, viewpoint. I, I think it's more about there are certain cards that um, – where the OBF version is not the most premium version. And there's also a segment, and we've talked about this before on cast, there's a segment of people that are newer to the game that don't have the nostalgia for old border foils. And so they are not contributing to the demand. But I think that if you look at most of the misses with the OBF sometimes probably remastered, they can mostly be traced to being relatively narrow cards or cards where there are premium versions both in multiple in the last couple of years um, or where the play patterns for the cards are not tremendous. So like if you look at something like Primeval Titan Old Border Foil, if that was legal in EDH, that card would have taken off like a rocket ship. But because it's banned in EDH and people can't really play modern and paper, you're basically limited to the Amulet Titan players that don't already have favorite versions of Titan in their deck which is, you know, a much smaller audience. So I, I'm I'm going to pick a fight with you here. I, I think that I love the retro foils, uh, and they would be my preferred version of most of these. And when I talk about a card being popular, I'm not, we're obviously talking about, like, in the grand scheme of total Magic players. There's definitely people out there that like the retro foils. So, I mean, everything is, quote-unquote, can be popular because there's a group of players that like it, but in the context of the greater magic playing community who may be buying this card, it is not a, there are not as many people seeking it as you might expect. So I'm going to call that unpopular for our purposes. And my, my counterpoint here is beast whisperer. Beast whisperer is one of my picks. It was a, t- as a retro foil um, at $40 was my pick beast whispers in 60,000 EDH rec decks, 15% of green decks, unbelievably popular. One of the best green creatures in the, format and there are no other premium versions there's like a a promo foil that was in like walmart target style packs right so just a generic pack foil essentially copy that every card has these days other than that they're all just normal 
pack copies, you know, maybe again, maybe some pack foils, but nothing important. The retro frame is the only one distinct. Um, and yeah, I called it at 40 and right now uh, it is 26 bucks. So. so like, I, I, I don't know. This to me tells the whole story. You have a widely popular card in Beast Whisperer uh, and the retro foil has just fallen on its face entirely. Yeah, but I had this conversation with people earlier this year about these and I think it's something people need to keep in mind. When the market prices a new rarity of card, which is essentially what the OBFs were, they were basically like not quite one per box, uh, a little less than that. Um over a relatively large subset the on an expensive box mind you it wasn't a standard box the market looked at old border foils as a new thing and said okay we're going to price these high out of the gate and so a lot of them showed downward trends and people interpret that as demand not being high enough well what you're actually saying looking at that data is demand wasn't high enough for that price point which was unproven didn't have a reference point that justified it in the first place. And so you ended up at a price point that is quite respectable. I mean, this is a premium card that takes a bunch of boxes to find. Beast Risperer is to be at $25 seems like a reasonable price point given that it came out less than a year ago, about eight months ago. There's only 27 listings left and nobody has deep walls here there are you don't see a gaming company wall with 50 copies because again these aren't that easy easy to pull so what's the beast whisperer old border foil going to be worth in five years if they don't give you another premium version along the way probably a fairly respectable number like if we look at the curve on the price here it jumps from 24 25 copies you could you only have five copies before it's 30 dollars and then another five copies before it's $40, and so on and so forth. So I think that people had high expectations about old border foils. And if you bought in on them early, including some of our picks, Prized Amalgam and Beast Whisperer are good examples, then yeah, we burned you because we got you in at unrealistic prices. But it's also worth pointing out, there was no reference point for these. If they were doing OBFs like that, in every standard set at the same rarity drop. We would have that nailed by now and we would know what our entry points were supposed to look like. I had the same problem the year before with um, foil extended arts out of Throne of Eldraine when they first started Booster Fun. Because around that time, I had bought Cauldron of Eternity foil extended arts at like 65 US or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the lessons to be learned is that when there when there is a rarity, uh, a product formulation that you're not familiar with, that the market's not familiar with, you can generally expect that if there's a hype cycle attached to that, the market will try to overprice things. And then the market will tell, will inform the vendors as to what the actual correct price is. Well, sure. I mean, I I don't disagree with that. But I don't feel like that's a a particularly revelatory discussion. Um, you know the I, I don't know I don't I don't hear that talked about ever. I mean you're you're basically <laughs> so, I mean so it's it's a pretty important point. The the perspective here is basically that uh, the cards the old border foils as released had a 
the market did not value them correctly at the outset, right? That's essentially what you're some, saying here. Some of them. Some of them. Because keep, keep in mind, if we look at Eternal Witness, another mega S-tier green creature staple, even more so than Beast Whisperer, Eternal Whisperer OBFs, there's a single copy at $35 right now. 15 listings total compared to 27 for Beast Whisperer. And then it jumps right to $52. And I would imagine that those OBF Eternal Witnesses are going to end up being $100 cards in the not-too-distant future. And there was an entry point on those. If we look at the TCG player data, uh, you know, down in this $40 or $50 range along the way when they started significantly higher. So a lot of these OBF sometimes spiral remastered for the good cards. I expect to have started too high. You're going to see them dip low over the course of anywhere from 6 to 12 months. And then you're going to see them start to curve back up in the other direction and surpass their original price points. Well, I'm not saying that these will never work out. I mean, if we return to these picks a year from now, two years from now, they may have hit the targets we set out for them. I'm not saying they won't. Um, But... It still sounds like the whole the whole idea here that the 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 premise is well they weren't bad picks that we just no one knew how to price them out of the gate so we basically thought bought at what we thought were lows but it turns out that 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 number had just hadn't adjusted yet because we didn't know enough about them that's fine I I, I can appreciate that as a perspective but this was not our first rodeo, right? Like we've been through this multiple times because this wasn't the first time we had a new rarity and new printing. We had done expeditions and then the return with masterpieces and inventions. And then we saw the Amonka invocations and how things could work if we have these rare cards, but they weren't as popular. Um, And then we had already had like extended arts and what have you that had come out before the Times Pearl Remastered came out. So we had been through quite a few of these sort of new treatments to market. And the market had also undervalued them a lot, right? Like inventions are obviously around here notorious for how much the market undervalued them compared to what they ended up at. So having gone through that process a couple times, I'm putting the onus on us to, to have missed it. Right. Like we went into this looking at all the past state. I, I mean, not um, not to say that we were really irresponsible, but we had a lot of data that we could look back on and a lot of previous treatments. And we looked at that and we said, OK, well, these really seem like they're going to work out based on the way the market has valued this stuff before. These seem rarer than they seem than than people realize. Um, these are popular cards that we're talking about. These prices don't seem wild. Like I'm talking about $40 for a super premium card, which isn't crazy. Look at inventions, right? There's lots of inventions that are way over $40. So it makes sense that people would pay $40 for this card, independent of like how rare it is. It just, there was there was a lot of clues there that we could have worked from. And it, it just it just didn't work. And at least it hasn't yet. So that's that's well, I mean, kind of why but, but I'll, I'll, I approach but it. But a lot of the clues, but a lot of the clues that that you referred to would have suggested that they were headed up before they headed down. Right. The, 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 but the there is an overarching piece of kind of classic MTG finance advice that could easily have been applied should we have chosen to, which is kind of how which is the advice surrounding how to handle standard set releases. We've always told people, and before we were even on the scene, people were telling people that don't buy stuff on pre order. For the most part, unless you think you've you've spotted that underrated gem that's going to skyrocket, um, or going to become a meta call and suddenly double or triple, for the most part, your pre-order prices are going to be too high. 
and most stuff will be cheapest the summer like say we're talking about a fall set you would expect that the summer following would be where you would get the best bargains on cards from that set i mean there was always kind of a six to 12 month expectation because the card was going to be in print for that period of time now one of the reasons that wasn't applied to time spiral remastered was because tspr was a short run premium product that didn't get multiple waves um and, and was released into supply chain issues. So, I mean, th- there's quite a lot going on there, and I'm not sure that t- going back and resetting the decision matrix there that I would do any better the next time. Um, one of the things is that we didn't know that the fall into the winter would be yet another COVID crisis yeah. <laughs> on the magnitude that we're dealing with now. So if you look at like something like Old Border Thought Seizes out of Time Spiral Remastered, I find it very hard to believe that these would be sitting around at $15, $16 like they are currently on TCG Player with 172 listings of the non-foils, just kind of slowly drifting along with no no increase if Paper Modern was being played in great quantity. Well, there's no doubt that these numbers would look different in that world um, where COVID didn't happen, but I, I, I'm also not willing to give us a pass on not having respected that as a possibility. I mean... I don't, th- it, it would not take long into COVID before we were like, uh, this could last a long time. Like we, we were aware of the possibility of it lasting years in like June, probably even before that realistically, like that wasn't a surprise. Here, here, here's, here's another example. Like the thought, I mean, thoughts of these times probably remastered. I don't, isn't on my list. I don't think, but I've got one that's similar. Karn liberated foil double masters. That's the ugly Karn borderless versions. I called it 60 to go to 120 in April within 12 months. So I've got till April for this to happen, but currently you can get these at $51. And that's gotta be a combination of Tron not being a big part of the meta post MH2. And Again, not that much modern being played in general. Yeah, I mean, Tron falling out of favor in modern is I I would be inclined to give you as the biggest strike against it because cards that are good in modern right now, you know, Ragavan's an $85 borderless card. That was non-foil. So, like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot less modern being played in paper than there could be, um, but people are clearly still paying some amount of money for the cards. That's how you have an $80, $85 Ragavan. So the current thing seems like a Tron problem, not a COVID problem. Back to mixed signals with TSBR. I had called Vandal Blast out of Europe to be snapped off at 40 to $45, looking to double up to 80 And that was on the basis that it was essentially arbitrage. At the time, the TCG pricing was already pushing 80 But now the current price on Vandal Blast OBFs uh, is $38. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another perfect example. And I was totally with you on this card. And I'm still like, well, this is kind of surprising because Vandal Blast is like the second most popular red spell in EDH or something like that. So, I mean, you, what did you say your, your buy price was on that? At the time, TCG was in the mid 70s. And I was recommending people snap them off in Europe. So if they got them in Europe and shipped them over within a two-week period in the spring, they probably got an exit. But I marked it. I I didn't give myself credit for that yeah. because the odds of them pulling that off are fairly low. Yeah. Um, I, but but I think that that was a totally. I totally understand how you make that decision, and I'm right there with you. And the fact that it didn't work is 
why I'm saying like these just weren't popular. That's that's kind of the core of my point here is we can come up with several examples that seem like they should have been slam dunks and haven't been. And I think this actually dovetails with another point that we've talked about recently on the cast and that, that, that you had brought up initially, which is this sort of uh, nostalgia gap where these cards in this frame speak to a specific type of player and it seems like there's a lot of people around right now who have no interest in these or way less interest in these than we would have expected because these prices at this point are propped up by what must be a small, the the gross number of people who want to buy these cards, the flat number, not a percentage, has got to be small. That's why these prices are not any better than we want them to be. Um, because even though those players may really like them, you clearly have a lot of magic players who just have no interest in purchasing these. And it just kind of comes from that. Like, I guess these types of treatments that speak to the older players are just, are, are, are not doing what we thought they would. I don't feel terrible about it. Like it's a bummer that none of these picks worked out. I don't feel like we made terrible decisions. It was, it was just been a real (laughs) learning experience. It feels to me, feels to me like you have more of an emotional connection to the the losses. I kind of take them for granted that there has to be some reasonable percentage of losses oh, when you have this many picks on a street. Yeah, yeah, of course there's. I, I my point was I am not upset that we have we that we have cards that fell flat. I'm just saying that I I feel reasonably strongly that these are just unpopular. That's that is the core of my point here. They're just unpopular. Yeah. I I definitely don't agree with that, but we'll we'll agree to disagree and move on. The let's go ahead and get a little, onto the positive side of the sheet here. Twenty five percent of my selections out of one hundred and eighty two picks, so that's uh, forty five total, were a hundred percent ROI plus within the target region. That included such hits as Malakir Rebirth, uh, foils going a dollar to six dollars. Uh, I think you'd probably have to take the 380% ROI there with a grain of salt on the basis that you're probably buy listing out at a lower percentage, but probably still win. Uh, aggravated Assault, Masterpiece, Inventions, I called to go 25 to 60. They are currently $120, so 380% gains there. Edgar Markov, I called September 1st, uh, 2020. Uh, at $22 to go to 40 and it's currently 105 so 375% plus gains there uh, inside about 14 months or so, 15 months. Gideon Blackblade Anime was telling people to pick those up. Japanese War Foils uh, at 30 to go to 50 It's currently at $131. Chromatic Orrery um, telling people to pick them up at $5 to go to 12 inside that was in june of 2020 and they got all the way up to 21 dollars last april so basically a quad minus shipping and fees terror of the peaks out of m21 called at 12 to go to 20 uh and as of today those are this is the non-foil terror of the peaks uh and as of today those are at 46 dollars so that's 280 percent gains uh, some really sexy wins there, and uh, all sorts of other stuff. Cauldron Familiars, Tales and Double Vision, Deflecting Swat, Stormwing Entity, Foil Extended Arts, Fiery Emancipations, Shadow Spears, Zhang Yang Yu, 
the uh, Japanese War uh, anime anime art uh, foils, Shark Typhoon foil extended arts, Peer into the Abyss, Sliver Legion, Balefire Dragon, Ristic Study, Yogmoth, Thran Physician, uh, counter, Beta Counterspell LP. I called it 300 to go to 500. Those are currently 800, as I referenced earlier. Soaring Imperious Bloodlord on the back of all the vampire hype this fall. I called to go 15 to 30 in September, and they're currently at 38. Uh, CE or ICE, that's Collector's Edition or International Collector's Edition Old School Soul Rings, uh, called January of this year to go 80 to 140, currently lowest price for both on TCGs, about 200. And uh, on and on and on. Uh, quite an impressive list at the top end here. Yeah, I think that you know it's, it would be hard to argue that um, neither of us had had good stuff at the top here. And I mean, you have what appears to be 13 cards, 12, 13 cards that were triple ups or more, which is which is excellent. Um, and a lot in the one, the 200 range as well. Um, so there's some real meat in here. Uh, with prices kind of across the board, you know, there's buy prices at one, two, three, five, and there's buy prices at 15, 23, 40, and 300, um, 50. So, you know, depending, no matter what price point you wanted to be buying in at, you had an op- an option. I think one of the probably the most interesting factoids looking at my list is because I tend to focus on premium magic cards almost exclusively, very rarely picking pack non-foils. There's a lot of evidence here that uh, focusing on the premium side of magic is going to do well by you. Um, Now that doesn't mean you couldn't beat this list with pack non-foils, especially if you were spotting dollar cards and buy listing them at five or something. um, And you were doing that consistently and that was your whole MO. I think that's how you beat this list. But the you'd be hard pressed to say that people don't buy premium magic cards that's for sure oh yeah i mean there's no question that that stuff moves that stuff moves right like that's very clear that there is a market for these types of cards the only question is whether there is a better market out there uh pursuing another strategy but you know from from the people sitting at home doing this stuff just from their chair looking at cards they can buy a couple copies of online and then sell relatively easily i I, i'd be hard pressed i'd be very interested to see if there was to see that there was a truly preferable strategy um i think other than targeting that market leveraging tcg direct has been a big win for a lot of pro traders this year getting higher prices on cards because you're part of the direct program to counterbalance the higher fees. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that work overseas arbitrage, either from Japan or Europe, and do it on cards based on existing arbitrage gaps, not predicted arbitrage gaps, that can handle volume and get cards from point A to point B quickly and flipped out to, say, CK Biolist or something, that can certainly be a strategy that can be you know, weekly selections. Um, and flipping collections, if you're good at doing that, and if that makes sense for your hourly um, and you're taking and assuming that you're taking your hourly into account, because I think the times where I've handled big collections, it has always come down to, yes, there's good profit here. But the amount of time you have to spend hunting for those deals, driving out to meet people, looking through their stuff, negotiating, etc. You have to take that into account when you're figuring out what your actual margins are. Oh, yeah. Whereas a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, like the time I spend 
flipping six figures where the stuff on eBay every year mostly happens while I'm currently watching television. So the, it's not a huge drain on my timeline. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, that's a big part of it, uh, that people tend to underestimate when you're doing collections. And I have done a lot of those and they take a lot more time than you really want them to. For sure. There's also some there's also some stuff in here where I've claimed wins that were definitely time specific. So for instance, Sanctum Prelate was originally called uh, late December of 2020, so about a year ago, to go 15 to 35. Well, it got to 35 just before it was announced as the buy a box promo for MH2. <laughs> so if you got out mid late spring, you were in good shape. But if you waited for those those buy a box old border foil promos to get distributed to your local LGS. I think those are under 10. They might be as low as $5 right now. And they're gorgeous. Like it's undoubtedly the best version. Yeah. Um, The first sliver, same kind of thing. That's an MH1 card that they reprinted in MH2. I called it June 1st, 2020 to go 15 to 25. And it got to 36 in March of, of 2021, but has since retreated in the face of additional copies being pumped into the market via MH2. Mm hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some stuff in here where, you know, your exits were time sensitive, but a lot of the, the foil extended art stuff from the early days of collector boosters that got there. Okay. Uh, when we looked at it last year, did a lot better given more time. Like if you're looking at things like underworld breach foil extended art, I called 26 to 40 July of 2020 and it got up to $64 uh a year later um thassa's oracle extended arts uh yogmoth ran physician is a win out of uh time spiral remastered i called the non-foils to go 12 to 26 called that in april and they didn't fall they went up they're at 32 bucks as of today Mm -hmm. okay some progress that's a weird so what's a weird counterpoint right because yeah, Yawgmoth's a popular EDH card, but it's not a massively popular one. And yes, that deck is a thing in modern, but again, how much, if we're making the arguments <laughs> against the Thoughtseize, like basically the, the Yawgmoth is worth more than the Thoughtseize. And you say, oh yeah, but Yawgmoth is a mythic and Thoughtseize is a rare. No, not not the way the OBFs work. They're all the same rarity. I mean, I mean the Time Spiral uh, extra sheet is all the same rarity. If I, if if you're challenging me to come up with a reason why you would see a disparity like that between Yawgmoth and Thoughtseize, I would imagine it's because you have a lot of options with Thoughtseize in terms of getting a cool looking version. But Yawgmoth is you have one. There's there's no other well, choices. That's a reasonable uh, proposition. I'd also say that Yawgmoth gets played in EDH, or Thoughtseize does not. Uh, that's true. At this point, I don't know. I don't know how much that would matter there, but it's possible. Maybe. Yawgmoth as a card on EDH rec is 20,000 decks. So that seems like yeah. a reasonable, yeah, that's a, that's uh, a fair bet. Reasonable analysis. All right. Let's look at some of your big winners. Yeah. We got here. My, uh, my, first, my best card is kind of funny. Throws of chaos, which is that cascade spell from modern horizons. that I distinctly remember you <laughs> not being the biggest fan of at the time. This is the uncommon sorcery that's just Cascade Retrace uh, for four months. Keep in mind that we can't buy list this to CK right now in non-foil form. Uh, this is the foil. but So the foils, they're, they're only offering $0.45 cents to 
159 credit. That would still give you a double up, and I am still impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it, according to the TC, right? Yes, you're you're absolutely right in that. Right now, you buy less of the CK for 60 cents, which is better than you paid, but still not thrilling. The TCG data is showing four dollars being the peak from a buy of 25 cents, which was it's a 1500 percent gain supposedly. But I mean, with a card of this price point size, I don't really consider that um, to be a big deal past that there's a magus of the vineyard had a good run here um whether you bought not i had picked both foils and non-foils at the time i said they were both good choices one the five and seven the 15 and uh we hit six on the non-foils and 40 on the foil so those were both uh right around 500 percent so magus of the vineyard had a good one goblin charbelcher recently did quite well i had um goblin charbelcher i had called the foils at four dollars and uh, back in September of last year, and they, I, they they turned upwards at some point. I don't remember quite when, but just very recently, like within the last week or two, they really took off. Um, so if you held, they're a good payoff now. Sort of the Animus foils had um, had a good run for eleven to fifty. Uh, to say Weatherlight Captain, I called in June of last year. Modern Horizons foils those went eight to thirty three. Burnished Heart, Commander Legends Extended Art Foils. Those were two bucks. They are now eight. Um, although I called those two to 15. <laughs> that was, I suppose, in retrospect, a pretty greedy call. That's, that's, that's ballsy. But, I, I mean, they're eight. Like, give it another year, they will have gone two to 15. Um, Bonders Enclave, which I had to look up. I forgot what this card was. I picked it. That's a Commander commander card that got an ea treatment in the icoria box yeah collector box look it back up but that's the land that adds colorless and you draw a card you can... Ar- artifact not a land no it's a land bonders enclave. oh bonders enclave not bonders ornament gotcha yeah. okay it's a land a colorless land that allows you to draw a card if you control a fat creature um those foils tripled up uh, more than triple so that was good dwarven blast miner was another one that was a little questionable uh but just you know that's from an onslaught foil so just based on there being no inventory inspiring statutary revel in witches windfall uh windfall all floating in that 200 percent um harvest season dried elysian grove authority of the council so there's a a mix here um, you know, as I'm looking through here, my buy, a lot of these, the best ones, a lot of the best picks here were under $10 for a buy price. Um, sort of the Animus was 11 and Windfall was 12 But if I'm looking at like the top 15 picks, only t- three of the 15 were over $10 as a buy-in. Um, so that seems to be... Uh, somewhat of a sweet spot here and it's funny because as i scroll down i'm seeing more double digit buy prices you know 10 20 30 40 dollar buy prices which isn't terribly surprising because if you're talking about a card that's 30 and 40 dollars it's hard to see a a quadruple up on that rate like why a 40 dollar card to 160 is not too reasonable but two to eight is a lot more reasonable so you know if you were to look at flat value gains uh, but that's uh, it's hard to get those to make sense of those numbers in a, in a reasonable way. Um, but it's, it's not surprising that the percentage weight tend towards the, the inexpensive cards. 
Certainly a strong focus on EDH in your picks. I can, I'm having trouble even finding a modern spec in your top 40 results. Yeah, I mean, that's primarily what I've been shooting for. I mean, most weeks when I decide to go look for picks, I start on EDA track. That is generally where I begin my search. And sometimes I, de- I, I, I will find something and I'll pull it up on TCG player to check, you know, stats and prices. And then I see something else and I go, oh, I wonder about this set or whatever. And I go off in a different road, um, which is how I end up with some other odds and ends. But for sure, all, I always start with EDH. I mean, especially again, during COVID, like that was going to be my my angle. My ragaban here is is modern, but uh, yeah, definitely the, the, the path to take for, for me. Oops. Just trying to go through go through stuff that is near even like i basically divided my specs into three categories obvious wins that were kind of like 30 percent plus um where especially if it was going into your collection and we didn't steer you wrong and then some stuff that was kind of like anywhere from minus 10 percent to plus 30 percent consider those relatively neutral might be fine as a collector but wouldn't get a speculator excited or a vendor excited um, trying to pick up some stuff here that I think is going to get there shortly. We were talking in the Discord today about a Shia Soul of the Wild FEAs. I called them November 24th, 2020 to go 14 to 30. Uh, currently markets at 16, but I think those are about to turn the corner. I think when I looked today, they were down at eight listings or something. Uh, and then, yeah, Foil Extended Art, Shia, Soul of the Wild is down to Foil's six listings now. Um, it looks like it's about to turn the corner. So I would imagine by the next time we take a look at this, that will join the positive column and end up being a, a double up. Um, I note some stuff in here that where I think there's a decent story to tell about Commander Legends cards. Foil Extended Art, mid-tier commander legends cards from about this time last year that were getting called by me there's four or five of them that retraced stuff like uh fe foil extended arcane signet um command tower some of the court of cards court of bounty card of court of cunning um rings of bright hearth and I think that those failures to take off sooner are attributable to the following. Commander Legends was short-shipped in the logistics chain. There, Wizards was having definitive uh, distribution problems at that point in the COVID crisis. And there just wasn't that much of the Commander Legends uh, collector booster boxes uh, to go around during peak demand. And... Indeed, those boxes sell for big money on TCG these days, and people that got in on our group buy, group buys and managed to keep them sealed uh, have made some very, very nice profits. Um, but a bunch of the cards involved still backslid. Why did that happen? Because knowing that there was a logistics challenge, speculators and vendors bought more cards earlier than they would normally do with a set. And that ratcheted prices up, and then we would take a look at something like a, you know, Court of Cunning Foil Extended Art and whatever it was at that week when it was down to under 20 listings, I would be like, well, it's under 20 listings. Like, how is it going to backfill? Well, the way that it backfilled was slowly and steadily over the course of the year. 
And those mid-tier cards will eventually, they're going to have that same U-shape we were talking about with the Time Spiral OBFs, where too high, too early, dropping down to a more natural price point six to 12 months out, and then slowly, steadily regaining ground over time. Mm-hmm. Now, there could also, one of the other factors there could be the avoidance of foils from that set, because it is one of the most prone to curling of all time uh, in terms of, and it, it definitely does depend the time of the year and the place where you live. Like if you open a collector booster box of Commander Legends in Vietnam during monsoon season, you're probably going to be just fine. You're not even going to notice any curling. But if you open it in Colorado in mid-January, where relative humidity is under 15% or something, then your entire box is going to curl overnight. <laughs> and, you know, to, to the extent that there is knowledge, like a, a knowledge base in our Discord and in other locations online, YouTube, etc., just on how to uncurl those, like basically just humidifying your cards back into a relatively flat status. <laughs> and I've definitely noticed that the CMR cards I have in inventory that are not sleeved, which is like the chaff, um, went pretty flat midsummer here in Toronto. We're on the lake, so obviously it's relatively uh, humid here. And then now that we're back to late fall, early winter, they have gone back to their original curl. So they're going to, even if you get them flat, they're not necessarily going to stay flat. And the time of year you end up shipping them to someone and and where are you shipping them to and where you're shipping them from will all factor into whether somebody complains to you about the card not lying flat. Uh, it's going to be fun to deal with. Yeah. So, I mean, that just the annoyance factor there could be, you know, putting off. Again, I, I tell people all the time, I don't think most Magic players know that lore, but you could still have 22% of enfranchised players fully aware of it and avoiding the cards as a result. And I think it gets worse if a better version appears. Right? Like we've had other signets, arcane signets this year, and that is also a factor. So, sure, I called foil extended art arcane signet February 2nd of this year, but since that time, we got the Dan Fraser secret layer. And there, there had already been a secret layer before that. So, it's a card that Wizards clearly intends to, has no, no bones uh, or hesitation to reprint multiple times per year in some fancy form, which means you're going to keep getting them. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Do you see anything, like, in your kind of stalled out or neutral position stuff that you think is likely to take off in the, the near to mid You know, I was kind of poking through it, and I, I don't feel like it's... The stuff here is all that different from anything else, honestly. Like, it's not like there's a higher concentration of foils versus non-foils or vice versa. They aren't from a particular set. Um, I would say at the moment, it does seem like my... I do see there are about 20 cards in this grouping between sort of a flat, you know, a flat change and a very small change, like 20%. So about 20 cards here, and I see what appears to be five double masters extended art foils um from different time points i had one in september of last year but the other four were from sort of this spring and early summer april may june um so it's only about six months for those so about 
roughly six months ago, I was calling these double master extended art foils and they have started to move, but haven't moved that much. Um, and I'm wondering, but you know, when I talked about them, I wrote six to 12 months on all of them. Uh, the only one I thought might turn around quicker was Worm Coil Engine, which is actually one of the worst producers on the list. Uh, so that seems to be a common trend here. It's interesting to see where the, you know, where sets, specific sets jump out at me. Um, you know, I saw most of my time spiral retro stuff and it was in the bottom half or the, the losers. I see all this DXM stuff kind of having sitting still and not moved too much. Uh, yeah, Worm Coil Engine currently is about 36, 37 bucks. You said you had Agadim's Awakening FEAs on your list, right? Uh, As a... Yes, they that was one of my worst calls of the year. Yeah. See, I had, for my part, I had Seagate Restoration on from June, mid-June this year, called 18 to 35, and they're only at about 20. But looking at Seagate Restoration foil extenders, I think they just need a bit more time. Like 25, down to 25 listings, one copy at 17, next copy's at 21, next copy's at 25, and so forth. So still have, still have solid confidence on those flip mythic lands they like i can't say it enough they're flip <laughs> they're flip mythic lands like i, I don't know what else you got you, you have to say there there's so many homes for these in edh their edh rec numbers are excellent they're unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon yeah kind of thing that could could be a secret layer down the road with the with the, with the five of them the, but the academes awakening has 26 vendors Looks like a, a relatively smooth ramp from 23 up to about 30 across all of them. I mean, if I check the sales data, uh, I mean, they're selling. In fact, there's a, a TCG player didn't run any major sales in the last two weeks, right? No. Nope. Yeah, I mean, they actually have been selling. The last 25 foil sales have all been in December in the last two weeks. So, I mean, yeah. it moves quanti a quantity of cards. It's just the price isn't really budging. Yet. Like, it's going to it's gonna turn the corner. Like, even with this one, you get up to 35 plus, not too many listings down the road, right? And it just needs more time. Give this another 6 to 12 months, and these will be $40 plus. I, I feel, feel fairly confident. You know what they say? There's um, no bad specs, just long specs. Here's another one along those lines. Karn the Great Creator, non-foil from War of the Spark anime art. I called it 16 to go to 50, currently sitting at around 19. And that's a uh, solid eight months later. So we barely made any progress there, but find it very hard to believe that that pretty specialized Karn with multiple relevant pieces of text on it is not going to eventually get there. I think part of the, the issue is that half of the text on the card doesn't really do anything in EDH. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, that doesn't help, I suppose. Um, just poking around at some of this other stuff here. Like this card, uh, I liked Explorations at 32. They're 35 right now, maybe 40. It's 50 vendors. I don't know. I I mean, I maybe the DXM stuff might not be quite quite there yet. 
I mean, I, I, I looked at it and expected it to take some time. So it's not too surprising, but I don't, I, I my, my takeaway here is, is as I look through the stuff where I really did agree, where they really performed, um, I'm just trying, I'm looking for patterns and I, it's, it's hard to find in this data set. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would, I think that one of the patterns I noticed in your bigger winners is timely EDH related specs that are specific to new commanders that are hot. I mean, there's a couple of those, but I mean, like, I don't think that was Magus of the Vineyard. I don't think that was Burnished Heart. That, I mean, that would be like oh, Blast Miner. You said, you said it, you said it definitely was Eladomri's El- Vineyard. That was a Yurlock card. Uh, hold on. Let me put Magus. So I talked about Magus back in November of last year. Come on. EDA track. Let's go. The search field on this website is a little funky. What are you doing? Trying to click on this card. Next to the vineyard. Yurlock, right. Yeah, I do remember this card now. So that is, yeah, that is probably what caused that. That is the, it is the second mm-hmm. most played card, second most played card in that commander. I f- and I feel like given your research pattern, we can we can draw similar tangents pretty easily. Uh, not on all of these, but on a, a solid chunk of them. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting to me about the last year's worth of stuff is that Zendikar Rising was overprinted for a fall set uh, based on what they anticipated the demand to be for people chasing expeditions, etc. Um, but Commander Legends and Time Spiral Remastered were relatively underprinted. And then you have Modern Horizons 2, which is printed at a high level, but is facing massive demand. Um to the point where, you know, there's never been a set with so many staples um, that I can think of. And when we look at something like Double Masters from the year prior, like August, uh, late July, early August of 2020, people were very concerned that the VIP packs had been overprinted. But VIP packs uh, subcases of four were one of my winners that showed up on my list. Uh, let me see if I can track that entry down. It was. Yeah, I called VIP booster cases September 22nd, 2020 to go 340 to 499. Lowest priced subcase of four VIP boosters on TCG today is 650. Hmm. And that was at a point where people were very low on those and felt like they had been wi- like wildly overproduced. But a lot of the cards involved have rebounded. Not all, but a significant portion. And Double Masters in general has produced a lot of wins. Like our gr- singles group buy on Double Masters cards did very well by the pro traders. And there was things on there like underpriced Atraxas. I think I called Atraxa at 11 to go to 24. And I was almost bang on with that i believe yeah current pricing as of today on tcg is 25 and i call the tracks a june uh, august 4th 2020 uh, to get there in a year well i still like double masters um cards i just then uh, it just seems like the inventory hasn't quite gotten low enough for the prices to really start budging yet i mean they are still very cool artwork on very popular cards um, it's just taken a little bit longer 
to, to move the needle, I suppose. I, I, overall, as I'm looking through the cards that I didn't, that had my worst results and medi very mediocre results versus the stuff high at the top of the list, I'm not seeing uh, a significant difference um, in terms of the types of cards, the ages of the cards, the, the markets. Like, it's not like I can say, okay, well, everything that I picked that was from newer sets didn't do as well and all the really old stuff did great or, you know, all of my modern picks are sitting at the bottom, what have you. Like, there's a, there's a little bit, I, like I said, with the retro frames at the very bottom of the pack and some of this DXM stuff, um, you know, kind of flatlining a little bit. But beyond that, it's all the same types of cards. So um, I think that kind of tells me that I'm roughly on the right page. It's just not everything that you go after for the same reason is necessarily going to work out. I guess I feel like I have a decent read on which EDH cards will move and which ones won't, but I'm not 100%. And I guess I don't feel too bad about not being 100%. That would be pretty hard to pull off. It's a relatively complex market to be tracking all the time. I can say that like one mini trend in here is anytime we had reason to mention sealed product that showed up on my list, tended to work out. Like the VIP packs, Japanese War Booster boxes were called June 8th, 2020 to go 90 to 140. They're currently 155 on TCG. Um, the My Little Pony set, uh, Ponies the Galloping, I called uh, about a year ago. December 2020 to go 100 to 150. It's currently 175 on TCG. Um, we don't call a sealed a lot, but when we do, it tends to be a win. And I have a feeling, I, th I think not too long ago, I told people to get on Modern Horizons 2 collector booster boxes. I suspect that that will, be, will join that particular group in the not-too-distant future. What, uh, what this list doesn't include, and uh, we should make an effort to try and grab next year and i don't even think it would have worked this year if we wanted to which is uh the secret layers that we talk about because we've now talked about a, a good chunk of secret layers interviewed what we thought were going to be the winners and which ones weren't um and again it's been too early at this point but by next year you know that's kind of a separate list like okay well these are the secret layers that we said would do well and these were the ones that we thought were kind of duds how close were we um, and see how our secret layer calls did. Because those weren't like picks of the week, but we did identify which ones we liked and which ones we didn't. We have a best ideas channel in the Discord where I tend to provide early analysis on the secret layers. And at this point, there are mods and members that then chime in. I think with this last secret layer, like no less than 15 people posted their actual carts alongside their justifications and everybody had a little bit of, a little bit of a different take on it so there's tons of good information floating around in there and i'm sure that people will call me to task if any of my recommendations go awry my overall prediction for secret layers in 2022 is that they will be uh marginally less profitable yeah i i think that i think that more and more vendors are being convinced to throw their hat in the fray and i think the more vendors that buy you know, a hundred secret layers at a time of each type, the deeper the upfront inventory will be and the longer it will take for it to turn the corner. Yeah, I think that's probably correct that um, they'll generally be slightly less successful. Uh, but I would also add that I would not be surprised to see a couple more severe outliers where none of the vendor, you know, the vendors are really moved into the market and are doing a little lion's share of the purchasing. Uh, maybe other players have kind of gotten out of it a little bit. 
but you have a couple that sneak through the cracks that vendors didn't pick up on that then end up being worth a fortune. While we're on the topic of predictions, uh, I expect that Wizards will continue to de-emphasize standard and paper because COVID's not going to give them much of a choice. I suspect that uh, non-foil standard card rares and mythics as a result will tend to be quite cheap. Um, And that collector booster boxes will be their usual lottery ticket status. Um, with an increasing high end. That's where I think we're going with those. We're going to see more Amano Liliana, Soren the Mirthless, this new ninja, Planeswalker, etc., etc. We're going to see more pot- higher potential upside coming out of uh, collector booster boxes and the the rarest possible things that you can pull out of set booster boxes are going to be big big ticket wins and generally speaking standard sets will continue to do what they've always done which is you're paying more than you're getting um on average which is kind of how that whole system is supposed to work and then at least in the short short to midterm if you look back 10 15 20 years those of us that bought you know, random booster boxes of Urza's Saga or Champions of Kamigawa or whatever. And especially if you kept them sealed, you've done extremely well for yourself. Um, but the the modern era is, is not the same animal, so can't be viewed in that regard. And as a result, we're far past the point where we tell people to stack cases of standard booster boxes these days which used to be kind of like a common topic of discussion in MTG Finance six, seven years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a thing people did. Uh, it's sort of, yeah, it's not really a smart idea anymore. The The world has changed and where that was useful. Um, there's there's still opportunities, but they tend to be, I think, no, I mean, it's just not worth holding mm-hmm. on to that stuff for so long. Like, it, the timelines are so long for trying to chase those gains. And, um, and it's so inconvenient the secret- to hold that crap. And the market has changed where it used to be that a standard box, the standard set box of Magic Cards was the best place, was, was the only product you could buy, right? Like, there weren't a zillion types of product formulations where there was different cards in all of them. So, like, that was where you got cards. But now that there's collector boosters and stuff, it's just change that landscape so significantly i think the premium sets are going to take that have taken that mantle on and will continue to hold it it's your your double masters your commander legends your time spell remasters your mh2s when they put a premium price tag on it and especially where they limit the print run to some extent or in the case of mh2 generate such ridiculous demand associated with the product that it is uh, likely to hold value for at least some reasonable amount of time. The That's where you're going to see those potential gains. Secret layer is a part of that too. But again, I'm not sure you know, to what extent the secret layer returns will degrade over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, that ends up being a little weird. So if I, if I take a moment here, you know, you can talk about something like Future Sight boxes having held uh, a really good price point, right? Like those, uh, God knows how much those are these days. Um, and they were valuable for a long time, way before, way before the essentially the modern era of, of what sealed product looks like and even still today. But the difference between that and like a collector booster, right? Like, could you buy a Modern Horizons 2 collector booster and sit on it for a really long time and expect it to become really valuable? Was it Future Sight 
and and all those older set boosters became valuable because they not because of the value of the cards for a while they were but they lost that right like tarmogoyf has only gotten cheaper and cheaper for many years running now it used to be a hundred dollars a hundred two hundred dollars a card and a copy and that's why future site boxes were part of why future site boxes were so expensive that is not the case anymore but now future site boxes are very rare they're a collector's item unto itself once you open the cards are no longer valuable modern like a modern horizons collector booster it seems less likely for that to be true down the road uh the cards will continue the individual cards will probably carry value better than a future site box would have but reprints and additional printings and what have you may put some more pressure on that but a sealed modern horizon cb will never be like as cool or as unique or as identifiable or you know whatever it just it doesn't have the je ne sais quoi of a sealed future site box or pick whatever site you want so i i kind of think that era is just over in general because the, nowadays the stuff that's sealed that you might be inclined to hold on to seems like it leans much heavier on individual card values rather than on the sum being greater, the whole being great, the sum being greater than the parts, if that makes sense. No, that was. I think the the sub the subculture of which boxes are best to draft also seems to be faded versus where it used mm-hmm. to be. Absolutely, absolutely. That that is that that's that's part of the appeal has been part of the appeal in the past, but does not seem to be nearly as much anymore. Like no one's going to care that you have a sealed Ikoria box in the future. It's just not interesting in the way that the older sets were. I, I think there will be a, a market that will develop around the collector booster boxes because there's enough juice in there that, especially if you never got a chance to open certain ones from the past, there will be people that will seek those out. There are going to be people that look to like fill a shelf with one of each. Um, that that could be a thing, but it's that that has always been kind of the fringes of magic. Yeah as opposed to core magic like completionists are a portion of the community but it's a relatively small portion like guys like my dad are very rare yeah and rare rare by the day yeah i agree all right so yeah the the sum total here i mean I, i think i'm gonna post uh this data to the discord in a form that at least lets people look it over because there's a lot of detail here that we didn't have a chance to talk about um but some total, I think we did pretty good, um, and especially given the the format and uh, and the nature of you know us telling people pick and choose from amongst what we discuss. If you if you're picking from the top half of our picks, you're going to do very well, and uh, at bare minimum, you've got a lot of good ideas on the table that you can compare to your other options. And uh, as a result, I think people can feel pretty good about listening to the cast and following our advice. And where we've steered you wrong, we certainly uh, apologize. Yeah, I didn't and mean we'll to. Do, do, <laughs> we'll do we'll do our very best to predict Hull Beecher being brand banned and absolutely wrecking you. Yeah. Well, I will say this is that no matter how no matter what you bought this year, may may or may not have bought this year on my picks and what have you, uh, I cracked Theros Beyond Death collector booster all on my own accord, but uh, collector booster case. <laughs> And I guarantee. Wait, when? What? When did you? No, when it came out. So. Oh, okay, okay. So, but so I lost more money on that than you almost certainly have lost <laughs> on my picks. 
<laughs> so I think somebody mentioned the other not too long ago that the Pokemon lands were kind of slowly marching up, but uh, I guess we'll uh, see. Oh, right from they, that set, yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. it's a, attrition, right? All right, let's uh, wrap for the year, and I guess we'll uh, catch everybody next week in 2022. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Oh, I remain on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Yeah, that's episode 304 in the book, starting 2022 with a fresh slate here. And uh, we'll see, see where it all takes us, I suppose. Thank you, Travis. Thank all of you out there in holiday season, hopefully being safe, and we will see you in 2022 for more episodes of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.